Explore sailing topics with Imray, the podcast that brings pilot books to life. I'm Kerry Herford-James and it's my great pleasure to welcome you to another edition in our series, Explore More with Imray, as I get to talk with more of the editors behind the many pilot books Imray produce. I hope you, like me, will enjoy finding out more about their passion for the water, along with some of their favourite haunts, and of course discovering more about the cruising grounds that they cover. In this episode, I was delighted to meet up with Norman Keane, the editor of, amongst many others, South and West Coasts and East and North Coasts of Ireland Sailing Directions and Cruising Ireland. Norman was a fascinating guest who clearly has a huge passion for the Emerald Isle, making it an absolutely fascinating conversation that covered everything from his favourite anchorages to some of the issues surrounding taking your pets to Ireland on your boat. I started our chat by asking Norman to introduce himself and tell me more about his early days out on the water. Well, people are often surprised when I do things like this. I give presentations to people who've never met me that they're not listening to an Irish accent. I have to say, tune your ears to Glasgow, not Cork, please. I grew up in Argyll on the shores of the Firth of Clyde and I took to the sea at a very early age basically because I wasn't any good at golf. There wasn't a sailing club nearby or a whole lot in the way of built infrastructure. There was a little old wooden steamer pier which was very much in use. I bought an old clinker rowing boat. This is, we're talking 1961 here. And I put up a makeshift rig and boy was that makeshift. And I did things I'd never let my grandchildren do now. I, I dodged nuclear submarines while crossing the Firth of Clyde in the dark in due course, and I had no life jacket or anything else. I grew up, I built boats, I met people, I went cruising with them up the west coast of Scotland and to France. I went to work in Ireland in 1980 at the age of 31. I was an industrial chemist by profession. I built a Saddler 25 from the Holland Deck and I sailed around Ireland, France, Faroe Islands with the family. We raced a Sigma 33 in the 90s in, in Donegal and in 2001 <clears throat> I sailed a 50 foot steel catch back home to Ireland from a spell in the USA and we had her for eight years. And we now have a Warrior 40 which suits us fine. I took the money and ran from the multinationals some years ago. The Warrior is, you know, it's capable, it's comfortable, it's affordable, <laughs> it's plastic, it doesn't rust. <laughs> it's, a, it's a powerful sailing boat, but it's at the same time, it's small enough and shallow enough to get everywhere we need to go. And we have the great good fortune now to live in beautiful West Cork. How on earth did you end up writing pilot books? Uh, Norman. <laughs> well, as the saying goes, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. <laughs> if, if you'd said to me in, in 1979, I'd be living in West Cork and, and writing books about Ireland, I'd have said, what the hell have you been smoking? <laughs> but uh, briefly, the Irish Cruising Club has been publishing two pilot books since 1930, covering the East and North Coasts and the South and West Coasts the whole island. They've always been the market leaders. For many years they were actually the only source and that's still true in many places and we often say that they're the standard work on small craft 
pilotage of Ireland. The club has its own publishing arm, a bit like the RCC and the CCC, but Imre's don't publish our books. We do that ourselves. But we have a very close a close business relationship with them as their distributors for everywhere except Ireland. In other words, they sell the lion's share of our books because the biggest single market is the UK. I've always been a map, chart and navigation geek. And I sent my first serious work, which was a survey of a creek in Donegal where we were based with the boat. And I sent it to the Irish Cruising Club in 1984. And my chart also went to Taunton and it's still the basis of part of the Admiralty chart of the area. I joined the ICC in 1991 and I contributed some more. In 2001, I found myself living two miles from the then editor of the South and West Coast Pilot in County Cork and I offered to help. By 2005, I was editor of both volumes. And I have been ever since. We set to work by 2014. We could say that we'd been into every feasible port, harbour and anchorage in Ireland. About 500 of them. I say we because my wife Geraldine is a full partner in the effort. We love exploring intricate and challenging places and I have been accused of sailing on wet grass. The way I look at it is if the pilotage can be safely described, I'll describe it with cautions if as necessary. And if I consider a place not safely navigable, I'll say so. Now, what in your mind makes the coast of Ireland so special? What are your own favourite special areas? Well, the coasts of Ireland are really unique. I don't think anywhere else combines magnificent scenery and some, sometimes, well, actually quite often, wonderful weather, <clears throat> huge variety, excitement and challenges and remoteness and bustle, if you want it. And the unmatched friendliness and curiosity of the people of Ireland. I mean, are you on holiday is not a straight question. It's what the guy wants is for you to share your life story. And and he'll do he'll do the same. He'll give you his, you know, and that's just the way they are. It's, uh, I mean, that bit is legendary. The west coast of Ireland offers probably the, the most accessible wilderness cruising in Europe. There's a bay called Toberdenny in West County Galway it drives right across the entrance at Low Springs and there's eight metres in the pool inside it's about half a mile across we went in one afternoon and later that evening a little boat came out with two local guys we said oh, what are you doing in here you, you know you can't get out till the morning and we said well that's exactly the point that's why we're here and they said we've never seen a yacht in here before I said well how, how long have you been here and they said 40 years there are still places you can you can find like that. And if they handed us a bag of prawns newly caught, it, it happens here quite a lot. And Libby, Libby Purvis, who of course everyone knows is a columnist and formerly in Yachting Monthly and still to this day in the, in the Times, Libby and, and Paul, her husband, are self-confessed Ireland cruising addicts. And Libby put it in, in the Yachting Monthly, she wrote a Sure, I used to write a short column. Now it's the last day of your holidays and you've got to get back to the office. But Ireland, the coast of Ireland has its rocky claws in you and you're doomed. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the way it is. I mean, where do I like? 
well, the Rosses of Donegal, West Coast of Donegal, Pink, Granite Coast, think, you know, North Britain, you know, the Rossamall, little hidden harbours and fascinating islands and labyrinths of channels. The Rias of the Southwest, the, the four big bays there, Long Island Bay, Dunmanus, Bantry, Kenmare and Dingle Bays. And the islands, Atori, Cape Clear, the Arden Islands, the Blaskets, they're all different. Skellig Michael, it's an awesome 700 foot pyramid with a 6th century monastery perched in the cliffs, a world heritage area. Beautiful sheltered southwest coast, south of Mizzenhead and Strangford Loch. On the east coast, an extraordinary inland sea, it's 12 miles by 3, studded with Drumlin Islands and connected to the sea by a, a channel with an 8 knot tide. Not difficult to enter and leave at the right time. Strong Fjord, the Vikings called it, Strangfjord, Strangford. Ireland happens to be conveniently sized to get right round, typically about a thousand miles. A month is recommended, but it can be done in three weeks. The list of navigable places has of course got longer, as more and more places become accessible due to better survey information, high precision positioning equipment, and more reliable engines and anchors. Yeah, well, you've sold it to us. I think that's it. Norman, we're, we're, we're done. You know? <laughs> you've sold it to us. Ireland has its rocky claws on you and you're doomed. <laughs> you're doomed. You're doomed. Uh, of course, the danger here is that you're selling it in such a way and you're putting it in such wonderful prose in your books that next time you go to Tobadani, you're going to find it actually full of boats now. You realise that, don't you? <laughs> well, I know. People keep saying, I'll tell you about this place as long as you don't tell anyone. I'm sorry... <laughs> I'm sorry, you're talking to the wrong guy. <laughs> I tell everybody. <laughs> it doesn't make any difference. Everybody says they want to go and sail on the west coast of Ireland, but very, very, very few do, because it is challenging, make no mistake. The headlands can be quite fearsome. I mean, Ardnamurchan in Scotland is, you know, Scotland's Cape Horn, but, I mean, it's a pussycat compared with Eris Head. Yes, I mean, always in these cases, you rom- you can romanticise all you like, but you still can't beat good planning, preparation. Uh, Absolutely. And then, I mean, the difference, to be honest, the difference between the west of Scotland and the west of Ireland is the west of Scotland has got islands, it's got shelter, it's got this great big breakwater called the Outer Hebrides. Ireland hasn't got that. It sits in the shelter of Nantucket. <laughs> which, which isn't going to give you much shelter at all, is it? Let's be honest. It's a long way away. <laughs> West of Scotland enjoys the huge amount of work that has been done by Bob and his team with Antares. Yes. Any work going on in that regard in Ireland? Well, yes and no. I have asked Bob, I know Bob Bradfield, and I have asked him, has he any plans to come to Ireland? And he laughed and said, well, I've got a lifetime's work still to do in Scotland. <laughs> yeah, fantastic guy. Fantastic effort. I mean, the Antares charts are just brilliant. We would love to be able to do likewise. I have a little echo sounder on the dinghy, which I used to potter around, and I can only really use it safely in sandy places because it's dead easy to miss a rock. Ireland was very well charted by Beaufort's men 170 years ago. But, of course, you know, some of the rocks do move, usually upwards. And there has recently been, it's almost completed now, but around the coasts of the Republic, the government has carried out a very thorough inshore and inshore survey programme. The inshore one is called Infomar, and the work is, is stunning. They use multi-beam sonar, and they can find a golf ball in 100 metres of water. 
They're missing nothing. And unfortunately, this is not being, all of it's not being charted because the UKHO, as you know, is stepping back from producing paper charts. In fact, it's stepping back from directly servicing the leisure sector at all. And much of the information in Infomar is it's really not of interest to commercial ships because they don't sail in less than 10 metres of water, whereas we do all the time. And so it's a case of if we don't print the Infomar data, nobody else will. I don't know that Navionics or CMAP get it directly. CMAP claim they do. I, I have to check that claim. But it would be great if they did. Navionics certainly don't. They take stuff from the UK Hydrographic Office and from crowdsourcing. But in Ireland, there's really no need for crowdsourcing because this fantastic professional information exists. It's free to use, but the snag is you need a multi-thousand pounds worth of software on, a, on subscription and you need practically need a degree in hydrography. But we are hoping we have a couple of programmes on the go and we are hoping to be able to interpret the Infomar data and use it directly to improve our plans in the books. You've mentioned there a number of different places that are on your favourite list. From the cruising sailor's point of view, coming over for the first time, a couple of things. First of all, jumping off points. Where are the best jumping off points to get to the cruising area? And secondly, for the first time visitor, where would you recommend? Most people are coming from the south coast of England or in many cases they're coming from Scotland and of course from anywhere on the west coast of the UK and indeed beyond from France and Belgium, Holland, Germany, Scandinavia. From the south of England or France, it's 140 miles from Land's End or the Isles of Scilly across to practically anywhere on the south coast of, of Ireland. From Wales, uh, it's 50 to 60 miles across from Dale Roads or, or Holyhead. To the east coast ports now, typically from Milford Haven, you might land up Kilmore Quay in County Wexford. And likewise, if you were heading up the Irish Sea from Land's End, that would also be your landfall port. Very popular places are on the south coast to arrive from England, Crosshaven, Kinsale. We, we say try and aim as far west as you can because it's not much further. And once you're west, if you're faced with a persistent westerly wind, you can shape a cruise. Whereas if you're in the, at the east end of the south coast and the wind sticks in the west at four, four, five, six, you're going to have an awful time trying to get down west. Whereas if you arrive further west, you have more options. From the northwest of England, it's 40 miles across to Strangford Loch from Peel and the Isle of Man. From Scotland, well, the North Channel's only 12 miles wide, but from the big Clyde marinas to the likes of Bangor and Belfast Loch, it's about 50 miles, it's a good day's sail. There are good marinas all around the Irish coast facing Great Britain. There are no tidal limitations on the Irish side, not like in Wales and, and north, northwest England. Essentially all weather access in Ireland. From Belgium, Netherlands, Germany, Scandinavia, well it's the English Channel or the Caledonian Canal or around the north of Scotland. We've got readers everywhere and we see ensigns from all over the world. Amazing, isn't it? When you can see how it's a draw with such a magnet, as you say. An interesting one about Wexford, though, you mentioned is that it looks on the charts, you know, that's an ideal jumping off point to and from the UK. But it does have a bit of a reputation of being slightly underwelcoming to yachtsmen and women. I don't know. I mean, Wexford town itself is a bit difficult because of it's at the head of a, a very shallow 
Harbour, Sandy Harbour, which is very well marked in Boyd. But if you, I mean, even if you draw six feet, 1.8 metres, you might struggle getting in and out of Wexford. You would certainly need a high tide. But Kilmore Quay, just round the corner, has a nice little marina, very popular landfall port. The approaches to Kilmore Quay can be tricky. You're dealing with, well, fairly strong tidal streams and a kind of a rocky coast with, with not many distinct landmarks, but it is pretty well marked and buoyed. So it's worth doing your homework and good passage planning if you're heading for Kilmore Quay to make sure you know what to expect when you get there and because you do have to pay attention quite carefully. It's not not difficult, but it's not dead simple either. Well, that's half the fun of it when you get in there, isn't it? Uh, well, of course, yes. You mentioned Stratford Loch. We had an amazing time in there. It really genuinely is a cruising ground in its own right almost in many ways, isn't it? Well, it is, and it's a shame that a lot of people are deterred by the narrows and the, 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 the strong tide. There's no need to be, you just have to time it right. And uh, well, if you're especially going out, keep an eye on the weather because the sea. If you're if you're late going out and the ebb has started to run and there's a bit of a swell coming in, the waves out there can get extremely square. <laughs> but once you're in, yes, uh, it's the sailing nursery of Northern Ireland. I mean, everybody in Belfast learns to sail in Strangford Loch, and it's got something like eleven sailing clubs around its shores. It's fantastic. It's completely unspoiled. It's got no marinas. That's, that's the beauty of it from our point of view. We were so impressed with that. It's a bit like a very early pool harbour without the infrastructure and everything else into it. It must be. I mean, there are places like that. We, we yeah, kept the boat in the, in the winters up in, a, in a yard up the Ellen River at Skibbereen in West Cork. And somebody sailing down there said, this is what the Hamble must have looked like 120 years ago. I think that's absolutely right. I'm just going to say the team from Ring Haddy Cruising Club, they couldn't have made us more welcome if they tried. They were outstanding, Norman. Delighted to hear it. And I'm not surprised. From a world leader in marine navigation, Chart Navigator now comes to the iPad and iPhone. Select from hundreds of beautifully drawn charts with apps covering Northern Europe all the way to the Mediterranean and Caribbean. Navigating your way around the chart is simplicity itself pinching to zoom and panning around with the touch of a finger. Discover more with high quality photos and detailed harbour plans. Check tides and times for accurate planning and preparation. And use the built-in tools to measure distances and headings. Chart Navigator makes planning your route a breeze. Touch to add or edit waypoints and save them for easy access. Using the built-in GPS, Chart Navigator can track your actual position and plot this in real time. On the go or from home, using Chart Navigator to plan, track and share. From a world leader in marine navigation, Imray can help with that. Other ones that sort of struck me from looking through your books, it was Callingford Loch. It looks very interesting, I've written down here, with the Roro Ferry right on the border. But again, a great cruising ground by the looks of it. Carlingford itself is a lovely village and it's got the marina, but the marina's three quarters of a mile out of the village. It's got some beautiful restaurants. It's got a reputation for seafood and such. Greenwood beside it is strictly a commercial port. It's got a couple of cargo belts. And Warden Point at the head of the loch Although it's also a, a significant port, it's got ferry 
Daily Ferries. It's also got accommodation for yachts and it's a very nice town. It's a bigger town. But yes, it's a lovely spot. It does tend to make its own weather now, Carly, for Loch. It's surrounded by mountains and you, you can get stuck. But, you know, the thing is, even if it's blowing inside the loch, quite often it's not blowing very hard outside. And just Again, it's tidal in the entrance. Pick your tide and, and just go for it. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a lovely spot. And being right, of course, on the border, we need to talk about now about the whole issue with being in Europe and not being in Europe on either side of a loch. Issues, passports, access, and also a number of boats carrying dogs these days on board. What sort of things are being brought to your attention, Norman? Starting with the four-legged friends, the dogs and cats things really the most serious irritation at the moment because... Ireland tends to stand shoulder to shoulder, two halves of the island, when it comes to veterinary matters, but being very dependent on agriculture. And they do have the same rules. And the rules require that an animal coming in, a dog or a cat, on a boat, has to come in at a traveller's port of entry. Now, for ferry passengers, that's easy, because the traveller's ports of entry are Larne, Belfast, Rosslea and Cork the ferry ports. However, the the commercial areas of all of those ports are actually prohibited to yachts. You can't go into the commercial docks in Dublin. The, the commercial docks in Cork are 10 miles away from the nearest marina and the port of Rosslare is just so busy with huge ferries the harbour master will no longer allow yachts to use it. Now in Northern Ireland they're, they're ignoring it at the moment in all the debate over the protocol but the rule is still there on the books. Now, this is the most stupid thing we are currently facing, and I think, unfortunately, the reports I'm getting, or the absence of reports, I've, I've asked the Cruising Association for their experience this summer, and they say, well, we haven't had any reports, and we must assume that people are either completely ignoring this rule, which I think is quite possible. Ireland does have a, a tradition of setting laws and then just saying, actually, it doesn't matter. But I can't actually advise somebody to ignore it, but I'm damn sure people are ignoring it and nobody gives a hoot, to be honest. But strictly speaking, you, you just can't comply with the law. You have to get the animal vaccinated and you have to get a certificate, which I think costs about £150. But then you have to tell them you're coming with a dog and they'll say, yes, yes, come on, you're welcome. And you have to arrive at one of these three places. And you can't. You literally can't. And I've been tackling the Department of Agriculture about this and saying, look, these are dogs, the live trade desk, they call it. Well, A, these are not agricultural animals, and B, they're not being traded. These creatures are tourists. And they're not welcome. And that's, that's, that's sad. We are battling with it. We suggested two possible easy fixes within the control of the Irish government. But we're not really getting anywhere so far. I'm being very well advised by a, a former senior government employee, who, who I dare not name, of course. He's giving me some advice on how to deal with government at the highest level. And I'm, I'm sort of pursuing that. It's very much an ongoing issue, but unresolved at the moment. As far as people are concerned, Ireland's pretty casual about people arriving from the UK. We've always had the common travel area since 1921. You can come here and you can land anywhere you like, anytime you like. There are no passport formalities. You will, if you arrive from the UK, you'll often be asked for a passport at Dublin Airport. It just depends which gate your plane lands at. 
But, but, you know, you don't need a passport to come to Ireland. Carry it, just because it's ID. There are no customs regulations in practice. There, there is, at the moment, this requirement that the government have decided to impose where yachts crossing from the Republic into the North have to send in a, an electronic customs form. And in the Irish Cruising Club, we're taking the view that this is a breach of our freedom of movements that's actually an infringement of civil rights and we're in debate with the British Revenue about it but again that's not resolved I've asked professional mariners including the Irish Lights and, and a, a friend of ours who's a master mariner with Arco Shipping and said did you have to report when you took the ship from say Dublin to Belfast and uh, Joe has just come back to me within the last hour on what's happened said yeah we did we did, actually. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe the British are just activating a rule that's been there all the time. Or maybe they're talking nonsense, I don't know. But you'll find that the, the regulation is a very light touch in Ireland. That, that's what we like when we're on the water. We like we like light touch regulation. We don't want anything too heavy or onerous if we can avoid it. You, you know, if you're, in, if you're in this half of the island, do remember it's a foreign country. Don't be surprised if people... Look askance at Sterling when offered. They don't expect that they'll take take Sterling. And do some people, some people really don't have an awareness that that they're in a foreign country. Let's just look a bit more now about some of those lovely areas for the cruising ground around there. A couple of your personal favourites then, and also I'd be interested to know perhaps a couple of bolt holes, a couple of places to go when perhaps the weather does become a little inclement. Ah well, oh there are bolt holes all over the place, and do I have a favourite place? No, I, I mean, it's. It, 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 I've mentioned a few. I've mentioned West Donegal and Strangford Loch and West Cork. But without a doubt, the most popular cruising area is West Cork. And the, a, a lot of people who come over from England who come to Kinsale and Crosshaven and they go west. And they get no further than Mizzenhead because you could spend a fortnight in that area and, and not repeat yourself with, you know, three or four islands, all different and some really fascinating harbours and there are just lots and lots of boat holes all over the place people often ask me where would you leave a boat for the winter and some very good boatyards and some really quite safe marinas for the winter the safest place is undoubtedly afloat for the winter is undoubtedly Kilrush in the River Shannon which has got a marina behind a lock gate and so it's it's absolutely cast iron safe, but it is a little bit out of the way if you're on the south coast. I mean, I, I couldn't begin to list the bolt holes. There's nowhere in particular that stands out. On the east coast, it's really, you could say, most places, apart from Stranford Loch, the infrastructure is fully developed. You know, the east coast is a, is a different creature. It's a straight line coast, essentially, with harbour, stretch of coast, harbour, stretch of coast, harbour. And the harbours have all got some kind of facility for yachts in them. I mean, even in the port of Dublin, there's a marina on the south side of the river Liffey at Poolbeg. And the port vets are not inclined to cross the river, get to Poolbeg and check in your dog. But around the Dublin area, there are three or four fine big marinas and so on. And the marina at Carlingford and then up in Belfast, Ardglass in Northern Ireland. And then, of course, Strangford and Porta Ferry and the entrance to Strangford Loch and then Belfast Loch. But the West Coast has a distinct lack of built infrastructure for yachts and you're, you're very much on your anchor out there. 
but that's the reward isn't it the reward for the west coast is you know you've got to be prepared you've got to be you know the right boat and the right kit and the right ground tackle you've got to be very self-sufficient for the past year or so slightly more we've had to use white diesel and now again i wonder what the compliance is like in the west coast because there are no quayside sources for hundreds of miles i mean you can go 200 miles from carrick fergus or, or port rush and there's absolutely nothing there's no quayside diesel i think the customs are complying with this by they're providing evidence of, of audit by checking the suppliers not the end users Looking then about the actual pilot books themselves, what what are the biggest challenges you find, Norman, when you're putting these together? Well, I'm a firm believer in the idea that it needs to be comprehensive, up-to-date and accurate. And I think the only way to do that is to get out there and look. And I do have a small and growing team of people who can be relied upon to provide updates. And the chief among these have always been the commissioners of Irish Lights, the Lighthouse Authority, the, the UK Hydrographic Office, and many, many harbour masters. I, I have several dependable sailing colleagues and always a few visitors chipping in and of course Geraldine who handles the boat with me and takes the photographs and we do our research by sea and by road because it's easier to drive to the pub to check if it's still there <laughs> especially when it isn't we find that new additions are justified and necessary every three to five years and we try to gauge print runs accordingly now that's not easy and if there's anyone out there who knows how to do it successfully, you should probably try betting the house on the Cheltenham Gold <laughs> Cup. But in between, we have regular amendments on our website, iccsailingbooks.com. And right now, the amendments to the two-year-old South and West run to 10 pages in PDF. I do all the layout work and design myself and the printers get the files to use their term, camera ready. Just download the file to the press and print it. Keeping the books up to date takes about a third of my time and quite a lot of Geraldine's, but it's a pleasure. It adds purpose to cruising. The biggest challenges looking forward are to keep them fresh and from the reader's point of view, worth replacing regularly. We do like repeat business. The, 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 the latest editions include 180 of our drone photographs. We were among the first pilot books to use a drone. Yeah, I saw those. They look fantastic pictures. Absolutely awesome. Thank you. The next one says, oh, the drone is dead easy. You just need sunshine. Stick the thing up there and you go, good God, look at that. The, the next books is, will hopefully incorporate, as I mentioned earlier, more data from the Infomar project. In the marketplace, the biggest challenges are from the electronic revolution. Some websites aren't bad. Navali is a good example where it has coverage. Not in Ireland. But... Websites inevitably suffer from gaps and subjective opinions and inconsistencies in terminology, but maybe that's another podcast in itself. Why should people keep a copy of a pilot book on board as opposed to having that digital copy? People like the books. We have steady sales through thick and thin. And so far, despite the increasing plethora of websites and blogs and electronic navigational bells and whistles, don't get me wrong, I use all of those in Google Earth and I advise the prudent navigator to make use of every tool in the box. But there's something about a paper book that people like. It's always going to work. You don't need signal and batteries. It gets wet and survives and it's easy to flick through. You don't need instructions. You learned how to use these things before the age of six and you don't forget. Other publishers find the same. The books are used and depended on by the Irish Lights Vessel and the ships of the Naval Service for operations close inshore, and both organisations praise them. 
The RNLI uses them at several stations as the basis of local knowledge manuals. And we are, of course, delighted to have these endorsements and it helps to keep us up to scratch. We hate to have the Navy bend a ship because of something I said. But we do get many favourable comments and, you know, they're portable and robust. That's not to say that we don't recognise the world is going round and even though not many people ever ask, there's clearly a growing cohort of people out there for whom everything is on screen. And offering electronic versions brings some distinct challenges. PDFs of other pilots have not proved popular. But we have some plans afoot that I can't go into detail at the moment. But suffice it to say that we're aware of the challenge of the magic screen and we have a response to it. And the other thing that both my wife and and myself are are very intrigued by is the quality of the Guinness in Ireland. I genuinely, genuinely thought it was a myth. Having done extensive research, that Guinness brewed and drunk in Ireland is much better than that on the UK. Would you like to comment on that at all? I I believe that's true. It's certainly, it could very well be true of draft Guinness. (laughs) Yes. Draft Guinness is like good wine. It does not travel. But... At the same time, a certain amount of of that, I'm sure, is based on the combination of taste and place. Because, you know, if you go to Japan, sake tastes good. If you bring back a bottle of sake and try it in Ireland, it tastes horrible. It's like bad sherry. And, and, you know, everything has its place. I don't know why this is the case, but you, you just, it's very difficult to eat Spanish food in Ireland. But in Spain, it's fantastic. You know, I would no sooner order octopus in an Irish restaurant, well, I doubt if you could get octopus in an Irish restaurant, but it just doesn't fit somehow. The Guinness thing might be that as well. Oh, that's lovely. Just a quick aside to that, what is the best Irish dish these days? What's what's appearing on most people's menus? Ooh, I'll tell you what, it's, it's very, very difficult to get a bad steak in Ireland. The meat is just fantastic. It's, it, you know, it, it, it really is good. It really is good. I have to say, restaurants tend to be a little pricey, but yeah, seafood. Ireland isn't actually big into seafood. Ireland is actually, as a, as a nation, as a culture, it's not big into the sea at all. But when you get good seafood, you get, you get shellfish, lobsters and crabs, scallops, oysters. They're, they're just fabulous. Norman, absolutely fantastic to talk to you today. Is there anything we didn't talk about we should have talked about in terms of your pilot books? We'd perhaps just like to mention that the fact that editorship of these books for 17 years has led me down so many paths I never dreamed of. I've got to know many, many exceptional and accomplished people among professional and amateur mariners, surveyors and hydrographers. I've been asked to write many magazine articles and contribute to several notable books and I've given presentations all over Great Britain and Ireland. We've contributed recently to the RCC's Atlantic Spain and Portugal pilot. My name has been in many notices to mariners. I'm on a working group of the Royal Institute of Navigation dealing at high level with current developments in charting for small vessels. And most recently I've been asked by a Spanish friend to find an Irish distributor for a beautiful little book, originally written in Galician and now translated into English. Every day's a school day, and as I said, if you'd told me all this in 1979 I'd have asked you what on earth you'd been smoking. Sometimes I have to pinch myself. I feel so privileged to be part of such efforts, and I do want to thank all our readers and everyone who has helped and still helps to make it possible. Thank you once again to my guests for joining me for this Imray podcast. 
I hope you've enjoyed this episode and that it provides you with some inspiration for exploring new cruising grounds in whatever vessel you can get aboard. Join me again soon as I meet up with more of the people who research, write and shape the many books and guides in the Imray collection. Please do leave me a review as your comments mean a lot to my guests and to myself. <laughs>